part. Um, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, book of Matthew, chapter seven, chapter seven. Today, today is the conclusion of Jesus's sermon on the mount. We finally, he's been teaching us what is the kingdom of God, what is the blessed life, what does it mean to truly be human? What does it mean to be human with God? That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is teaching us of what is the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And like I've said the last couple of weeks, as he's closing the sermon, what he's doing, he's making these stark statements to you and calling you to action. He's calling you to do something, to respond in a certain way, and he's clarifying, here's what followers of me really look like. Not everyone who's around Jesus is a follower of him, and so he's clarifying for them, here's what it truly means to follow me. So we have a lot of text to get through. Let's go ahead and start with verse 15. Verse 15 through 27 through the end. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. Here's, here's how he closes the Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. There is a lot going on in this text. So let's go back to verse 15. We're just gonna jump right in because there's a lot to get through. Verse 15, here's how he starts the whole thing off, okay? Here's what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So he starts off with false prophets. Now when the idea or topic of false prophets gets brought up in the church, here's what I've noticed. There's kind of, there's pretty strong responses. Some of us hear it and we kind of dismiss it. Like, like there's groups of us that like you hear, okay, watch out, there's false prophets. And you kind of think, I mean, sure there are. Sure there are people who teach false things, but you hear this and you kind of get worried that this is an overreaction by hyper-religious people who wanna use this false prophet motif as a way to critique any ideas different than their own. Anybody feel that? Well, you hear this idea of watch out for false prophets and you think, well, I mean, surely there are, but you can recognize them really easily. You'd know it if you saw it. 
And honestly, you hear the idea of false prophet and you've heard people use that before and you think people use it as a guise to be overly critical of other Christians, right? And you're thinking, listen, we just need to be more kind to other Christians. So yeah, what they taught, it's not that precise, but their heart is good. Yeah, but they're loving people really well and we need to take it easy because everyone's just trying to figure it out. Everyone's just trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to love other people? And so you hear this idea of beware of false prophets, and if you're honest, you kind of think, I mean, sure, but it's probably not that big of a deal. That's one side of it. And then others of us hear false prophets, and we're thinking, it's about time. It's about time we're finally addressing such a pervasive issue. You may have, you see false teachers everywhere. You've got some list of names. They may be in this room. Don't point them out. But you may think that, right? You have people in your mind that you think they should be investigated. But Why? Let's not caricature those types of people. We've all been there. You're sensitive to the ways the word of God is handled and parsed out because you know every word of God is true and there's not a word of it that should be watered down. And you see in the church just how rampant false teaching can be. You probably, if you're in this camp, you probably have a couple of well-known, well-liked preachers you have in mind and you see them and their popularity and you mourn it because you think, how many Christians are being deceived by their teaching. So we kind of dismiss it, or we get, we're, we're very aware of it. And listen, both of those reactions, and a lot of you are probably in the middle, you never think about false prophets, and maybe they're a big deal, but you have no idea what it even really means. But both those polar opposite reactions, they both have some truth, they both have some wisdom, but both of those reactions need to be critiqued by the word of God because the only way you can truly decipher anything when it comes to following Jesus, the only way you can truly decipher anything is with his word. And listen, in his word on certain topics, he is going to be crystal clear where you wished he was vague. There's gonna be topics that he's going to be so clear about what is true and you're gonna think, I wish it was a little more murky. And then other topics where he's gonna be more silent about it where you wish he would make it more obvious. So I wanna look back at verse 15, and I wanna give you, just for the sake of time, a running list of observations about false prophets in this text, because we need to be cognizant of them. So verse 15, Jesus says, not some overly sensitive fundamentalist person, it's a, Jesus himself says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I'm gonna give you six observations really quickly. First, here's the first thing. You're told to watch out. Beware means be aware, be alert, stay awake to the fact that there are false prophets. Now Jesus, in this text, he doesn't state what their teaching will be. He doesn't say false prophets who teach this. He doesn't say that. Because the teachings are going to vary from teacher to teacher. He tells us to be on the lookout, because here's the thing, you can't spot them if you don't know they exist. If they're not even on your radar, then you would never be able to spot them. And this means, this church, please hear me, especially if you're new to the faith. This means you cannot afford to be naive into thinking, well, they use the Bible verse. They use biblical concepts. They told me God loves me. They use Jesus' name as a reason why you should listen to their teaching. And Jesus is teaching you, beware, watch out, be careful, because more than 
me, more than you, more than we would like to admit, there's gonna be false teachings, not every false teaching, but certain false teachings that parts of you will want to be true. Know that about yourself. There's aspects of who you are in your sinfulness. False prophets will say false things about God that your sinful desires, that your wounded heart, your confused mind will want to be true. False prophets would not be dangerous if nothing about what they were saying was enticing, right? If nothing about what they're saying is enticing, why would he tell us to beware? It would be like Jesus telling me, Tyler, beware of flat earth conspiracy theorists. Beware. I don't need to be be careful because nothing about that is appealing to me. Nothing's about me. You know what? I wish the world was flat. Like nothing about me wants that, right? Right, you get that. There's certain conspiracy theories that you go, I, I, nothing about that makes sense, but there's others you're like, I mean, did we land on the moon? Like, well, whatever it is, I, I think we did, okay? Let's not get into it. We did, crazy person, okay? But, but the reason it's dangerous is because it's enticing. So 2 Timothy 4 through 4, Paul says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Look at that verse three. Verse three, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's not as simple as all these false teachers deceiving people, it's also us going, I want someone to tell me what I want to hear. The worst thing you could do is to assume, and at the Austin Stone, we can do this, to assume that we are impenetrable to false teaching. That's exactly where he wants you to be. That's what Satan wants you to think. The teaching is alluring because you're going to have cravings, you're going to have experiences, you're gonna have desires that hear the false teaching and go, I wish that was true. So we need to be cognizant of it and beware of it. So first thing is watch out. Second thing, look back at verse 15. Back at verse 15. It says false prophets. So second, don't view false prophets as only people with platform. So you see false prophet, most of us read into that our experiences and we think of some very popular preacher but anybody can be a false prophet at any point in time. It can be through a microphone or it can be over a dinner table where someone is telling another person, no, no, God is happy with this or God is mad about this or you can do this and still follow Jesus. Don't think it's only popular preachers. Your friends, your family, even people who come to your missional community may not be a a quote unquote, false prophet in the formal sense, but they can be saying false things about God. I need you to know this. The more you love somebody, the harder it will be to discern the truthfulness of their teaching. Because you'll explain it away with, but I know their story, I know where they're at, and that thing, though it's wrong, I can see where they're coming from, and all of a sudden you start to think that they're right. So second, don't view false prophets as only people with platform. Jesus has not given that definition. He just says false prophets. Third, false prophets come to you. Notice what he says, who come to you. So you don't even have to be looking for it. You don't have to be looking for someone to teach you something that's wrong. And now with social media, you're bombarded with it. 
At any point in time, someone can come to you with an er- what seems like an earnest desire to help you as a way to deceive you and feed their own desires. Fourth, notice what they're after. False prophets are after sheep. They come to you in sheep's clothing because they're after sheep. So sheep are this, is this metaphor that's rich throughout the biblical tradition and narrative where sheep are always a metaphor that God gives for his people. The, the, the point of calling a sheep is that we're stupid, okay? We don't know what to do. Left to myself, I'll wander off of a cliff. I'm like, wee, like, I won't know, right? Sheep are not smart. They can't take care of themselves. But if they have a good shepherd, they'll be fine. They'll be happy, they'll be content because my shepherd tells me what to do and where to go and how to live. We're sheep. But here's what this means. False prophets pray, they pray on sincere followers of Jesus. They pray on actual sheep. Why? Because if you're here and most of you are Christians, you really want to be faithful to God. Do, do, do you know what you really want? You really want to hear from God. Right? That's why in seasons when you're going through struggle or suffering or doubt or something and God feels distant and all you really want is to have this moment where you hear from him, well, then someone comes telling you, well, this is what God's word says and you have that moment where it feels like God is speaking to you, then we're the ones who probably are most vulnerable to their attack because not everybody wants to hear what God has to say, but Christians do. They prey on sheep. Fifth, false prophets claim to be and look like Christians. So it says they put on sheep's clothing. So listen, these are not atheists. These are not agnostics. These are not people of different faith traditions. No, these are people who claim to be and look like Christians. They put on sheep's clothing. So at first glance, you would never assume they weren't a Christian. In your interaction, you would never assume at first interaction that they really don't know Jesus. They can attend church. They can pray. They can read their Bibles. They can serve. And they can have all sorts of other behaviors that seem, that seem to put them as sheep. Just like everyone else. So don't think these false prophets are these ogre people who carry around clubs and go, you want to hear about Jesus? You're like, no, that's not what this is. That's a good ogre impression though, wasn't it? Um, And this is the sixth part. They claim to be Christians and sixth, the most dangerous false prophets are really likable. They're really likable. Now this isn't explicit in this text. It's kind of implied when they put on sheep's clothing. But this is evident when you see the biblical story and when you look at church history. Now there are some very mean-spirited false teachers. There are. I have one in my mind right now. They're very mean-spirited, clearly evil, and they only really attract people who are as mean-spirited as they are, right? But the most dangerous and most likely false prophets to deceive us, listen, are really winsome. They're really winsome. They're funny. They're great communicators. They're compelling. They're warm. They're nice. They're a good hang. Now listen, all those attributes I just listed, that doesn't mean people who have those attributes are false teachers, but it doesn't justify or guarantee that what they're teaching is true. But do not think 
that you would be able to spot them on, based on personality. Most of the time, the teaching that infiltrates the church in the most devastating ways are by very, very gifted communicators. Which brings us to the last piece. Probably the most confusing aspect of false prophets, hear me, is the actual spiritual power they display. They display actual spiritual power. So the text right after bearing fruit is the famous passage where Jesus tells people, I never knew you. And that passage in its context is talking about a lot of people, but Jesus is mainly is, has false prophets in mind. Okay, so look at this text, verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. This is in context of him just having taught about false prophets. Here's what Jesus says. He's describing both false prophets and those who are like them, who believe like them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? False prophets and those who are like them, look, look at that list. They demonstrate actual power in their lives. They see Jesus on the last day and they speak to Jesus. Here's three reasons why we're yours. Here's why you should let us in because it's clear on the, last, on the last day it will be clear that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. On the last day, they're gonna speak to him and say, no, no, but listen, we, we, we should be in because first they prophesied in his name. So prophecy is not just predicting the future. In the New Testament, prophecy is declaring the word of God with special insight into the text and insight into your life and insight into circumstances. It's a powerful thing that the Holy Spirit gives to his people. You need to know false prophets don't only say false things. They don't only say false things. It's not as if everything that comes out of their mouth is wrong. Because if everything that came out of their mouth was wrong, you would spot that. No, what they do is they say some true things about God so they can smuggle in their lies into your mind. That's what they do. That's what Satan does, right? Genesis 3, he doesn't question the existence of God. He doesn't question if God speaks. He assumes the existence of God. He assumes that he speaks, and he begins the question, did God really say? So he's assuming God exists. False prophets will say true things to smuggle in their lives. He said they prophesied in his name. Second, they cast out demons. They overthrew and undid demonic powers that plague you. We're gonna hit this a lot in the Gospel of Matthew. It's really weird for Westerners because we don't really have a category for this. But Jesus constantly sees one of your primary foes other than your sin, which is the primary one, but one of the other foes you have are evil spiritual beings that tempt you to sin and to disbelieve God. I don't think that, I believe it because Jesus believes that. And he says they cast out demons. And then lastly, it says they did, just all encompassing, they did many mighty works. They did these works that helped people. They did mighty works that, you ha- that people saw. They did these mighty works that helped people in the midst of many ailments and issues. And it's important to recognize when they say these three things to Jesus, he doesn't deny that they happened. He doesn't deny they happened. He doesn't say, no, you didn't. That was a lie. That actually didn't happen. No, he doesn't say that. False prophets and those who are like them and being far from God, they look at their activities and listen, 
They look at the power they display as a sign that they've been faithful. That's what they do. This happens, listen, this happens all the time in the church. We have a powerful experience. People do produce some radical action. And we interpret it as, well, that person should be listened to. Look at the power they display. Look at how they move people. Surely they must be true. You've, maybe you've had an experience where someone has prophesied and, they, and they've spoken into your life and they've given you something that, how else could they have known that about me? I haven't told anybody that. And they give you the word of God in such a way that it really affects you. Or you see somebody healed. Some mighty work happens, and when those things happen, we have a hard time interpreting, well, then that person who did it, they must be true. Because how else do I explain the experience? How else do I explain what I know happened? So there's the supernatural sort of ways, but let me tell you one that's more pervasive. We have a hard time separating out someone's experience and the teaching that, that seemingly accomplished it. It's when people feel helped. When people feel very helped by something. This is very difficult for us to think through. So when people say, that person, that teaching, this thing, it changed my life. But what if what the teaching was was false? What if the freedom they feel is not freedom to follow Jesus, but they're saying it's freedom to follow Jesus? Who are we to tell them Or who am I to even interpret my own experience to say something false could change my life? When somebody says they're helped by something, we don't really know how to interpret that. I I was having a a conversation with someone about Tony Robbins. And listen, I'm not here to bash Tony Robbins. He's humongous. He would destroy me. That's that's not not what I'm doing, okay? But I watched this uh, Netflix documentary called I'm Not Your Guru, it is so fascinating. The language is terrible, forgive me. But I watched it and it's fascinating. Because when you watch it, like it's, it is impossible to say he doesn't have an incredible gift and power. Like it really, I mean, you watch it and I'm like, yes, Tony Robbins. Like I just find, you find yourself just glued. He clearly has this power and people are clearly being affected and helped it seems. And yet, there are things that he is saying that is completely contrary to what Jesus would say is true. So I was talking to someone about this, and I was telling them just how interesting it was. I mean, there, there's a moment at the end of the documentary where they're playing a song, and everyone's hands are raised. I mean, it looks like a worship service. It's really fascinating. And I was talking to somebody, and I was saying how interesting it was, the power they had, but the teaching was so contrary to what the scriptures say. And the person's response to me, they, they agreed with me. They're a Christian, they agreed with me. And they said, yeah, but I know that he has helped a lot of people. That's kind of how we think about it. Like if something helps somebody, then who are we to critique that thing that helped them? Right? If something helps somebody, who are, we must then overlook what was taught. We must look at the person's heart and go, but they're trying, look, people are being helped. Who are you to say they're not being helped? But Jesus says, your intuition is not how you discern false prophets and false teaching. Your intuition, my intuition, you don't assess something's truthfulness by how it makes you feel. 
a lot of false things produce good feelings in us. You don't assess it by the power of it in the moment. You don't assess it by the popularity of it or even if people are helped by it. Jesus says the way you investigate it, the way you discern false prophets, the way you look out for them is by investigating their fruit, investigating what they produce. And what we're gonna see from the text is fruit is this metaphor that describes their response to the word of God. Look look back at verse 15 through 20. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They want to devour you. He says, but then he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now stop right there. You recognize them by their fruits. Now when I'm reading this text, maybe this is just me, but I would assume Jesus is now gonna tell me, okay, here's a list of ways to discern this. Right, and the, but he goes into the metaphor, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Instead of answering the what the fruit is, he answers why that's what you use. So the, the first thing he does is, well, why is fruit the determining factor as to how you assess a false teacher? The point is, you don't, let's say a tree could talk, okay? If a tree comes to you, it just has, Oranges everywhere. And he goes, hey, guess what? I'm an apple tree. You're like, that's weird because all I see, oranges. He's like, yeah, I've had a really tough season, but I'm mainly an apple tree. You're like, okay. Having a hard time seeing that. He's like, taste it. They taste like apples. like, nope, still oranges. Someone telling you what they are does not mean they've assessed it correctly. Say, no, what's on the branch? That's what they are. So he says, this is why fruit is how you assess whether someone is teaching good things or wrong things. But then Jesus says, now here's what the fruit is. So he starts with, assess them by the fruit, here's why. Because good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. Then he says, here's what the fruit is, verse 21 through 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he says but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is contrasting false prophets and false faith with those who obey God's word. That's the fruit. The fruit is obedience to God's word. When you read this text, this text right here, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. When we read this text, all of us are like, uh-oh. Like, like we, you, you don't know how to interpret it? And it can easily be preached as, so who knows? And it makes us have this fear of like, is it possible for me to get to, to follow Jesus faithfully as I know how to and then get to him and go, oh, you never knew me? And it produces this fear in us because we're looking at how the text makes us feel and not what the text actually says. Jesus does not leave it this vague, unknowable reason as to why they were cast out. He says so in the text. He says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, and look what verse 23 he says. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, verse 23. I never knew you. Depart from me. In the last part of that verse, you guys put it up there, verse 23. Depart from me. And then he says, why? 
you workers of lawlessness. You workers of lawlessness. It doesn't mean they just failed. It doesn't mean they sinned like every Christian sins. What he means by workers of lawlessness, it means they were proactively, habitually, unrepentantly pursuing lawlessness, which is saying not listening to God's law, to his word, what he has spoken. They produced these powers, but when it came to God's word for their life, they did not obey. They did not adhere to what God had given us in his word. Prophecy, casting out demons, mighty works, Jesus does all of those things. The church can do those things. Those are very good things, but listen to me. They are not the ultimate mark of faithfulness. The ultimate mark of faithfulness and success in Christianity is not the amount of power you display, church. It's in receiving and hearing and obeying what God said. That is what success is. And what, pro- what false prophets do, instead of receiving and obeying what God has said, they do one of two things. They either add on to the word of God or they take away from the word of God. False prophets and false teachers, they, re- they see the word of God and it's not quite meeting what they want so they add on to it, some of them. So what they'll do is they'll give clarity where God has not given it. They'll give boundaries where God has not set them. They'll place restrictions in areas where God has given us freedom. Let me give you an example, 1 Timothy 4, one through three, you see this really clearly. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now notice what he points out. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. These false teachers are adding on to the word of God. They're taking good things like marriage and they're saying you can't. Good things like food and saying you can't. And what Paul is saying is those are two things that are good. That you're free to eat whatever you'd like. If you wanna go paleo, go paleo, that's fine. You want some new diet? That's fine, but don't make it about righteousness then. Don't make it you're now godlier because you restrain yourself when you don't have to. No, that's your choice. But it's not something, but we can turn it into false teaching when it becomes something that God really values. I mean, God is constantly saying, I'm not impressed by your putting on restrictions where I said you didn't have to. Asceticism and, and hurting yourself for the sake of godliness when you don't have to is not helpful. So false teachers, they'll add on to the word of God and try to bind your conscience in ways God hasn't said. And so that's for sure one. The other one I think is probably more persuasive for our context. Other false prophets take away from what he said. They downplay what he said. They make God's commands as optional. They take away, they especially, they especially downplay sin. They especially downplay God's disapproval of sin. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you know, it's interesting, the false prophets in the Old Testament were not the guys who were preaching condemnation. The false prophets in the Old Testament were the ones who spoke encouraging words to people who needed to be rebuked. 
They spoke encouraging, flattering words of people who were, if they didn't repent, were going to be destroyed by God's wrath. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, listen, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those, listen, to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly uh, follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. They take away from his word. They downplay his word. They look at sin as God doesn't care. They use God's love and God's grace to justify sin. He doesn't like it, but who really cares? You'll be fine, do what you want, just know God's for you no matter what. And in Christ, he is for you no matter what, but that does not mean he approves of sin. And yet, false teachers will feel very freeing when they lessen the commands of God. But what they're doing is they're diminishing the work of Christ in the process. They're saying Jesus didn't really have to die. If God sent his son to die for us, I can guarantee you he does not do it because if he didn't have to. Death was needed to pay for sin. So you need to be aware of both of those schemes of adding on to God's word, taking away from God's word. And you know how the best way to know what's false is to know what's true. So don't try to, don't today try to just Google false teaching and just read up, right? If you know the scriptures, you'll be able to discern any false teaching. And what'll happen, there'll be false teaching that God allows to happen, and what it does, it purifies the church and helps us go, oh wait, I believe that more than I realize, but now that I study the text, that's actually not true at all. We have to recognize them when they diminish what God has plainly said, and they speak authoritatively where God has been quiet. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the sure sign that your faith in Jesus is genuine is nothing more than obedience to what he said. This is how Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Not just hearing not just attending, not your platform, not popularity, not power. No, it really is simple as hearing his words, seeing what he says, and obeying it. Now, hear me. It doesn't mean perfection in obeying. Because if, if you hear that, some of you who have, have the most honestly, probably godly, tender, sensitive conscience, you hear that and you think, but I'm failing everywhere. So maybe I am the person who built his house on sand. No, listen. Oftentimes, do you, do you know the obedience you're gonna do most as a Christian? 
It is the obedience of confessing and repenting of your disobedience. The most consistent way you'll obey Jesus, honestly, is confessing and repenting of how you disobeyed him. This is what he said in, in Mark 1:14. His message to the world says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. What is it? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The marks, the, Luther said, all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. And so measure your obedience. I heard a pastor say this years ago and it's helped me. Measure your obedience in terms of direction, not distance. In terms of direction, not distance. Because here's the Christian life. It's two steps forward, one and a half steps back. One step back, two steps forward, it's just back and forth. And even times when you feel like God's growing you in certain areas, you're like, and this area is worse now. It's the Christian experience. Don't measure in how far have I traveled, measure it in am I going in the right direction. It's direction, not distance. And also remember this, all of your obedience is not done at once. Like right now you feel this pressure, I've got to obey him today, everything he's told me to do. Like no, just obey today. One step at a time in whatever way his word has impressed on your heart. Because here's why, and we're done. Every time you obey Jesus, you're placing your life on the rock. Every time you obey, you're placing your life on the rock. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who what? Who built his house on the rock. He built his house on the rock. Where do you see Jesus's rock status most clearly? In his resurrection. He rose from the dead because in death, when he's on the cross, in that moment, he looks shaky, doesn't he? It looks like he's losing. But really, nothing can be further from the truth. When he rose from the dead, he did that to display nothing is as strong as him or as safe as him or as sound as him. He is the only rock you can find, listen, that the tides of life can't erode and the storms of life can't crush. It starts today. It really does start today. False prophets and false followers of Jesus are not born in a moment. It's the thousand little disobediences where you had the opportunity to obey and you chose not to. False Christians don't become rebellious in an instant. It's that you keep ignoring the spirit of God convicting you to obey. And here's what happens. Do you wanna know why people's theology changes? Do you wanna know why when it changes to false things? Most of the time, it's because there's rebellion in their heart or something in their life that they need a theology to justify. That's why most of the false teachers in the New Testament, their primary issue is not the books they read. It's the desires and the cravings they have. We find whatever theology matches our cravings. So that's the call. Jesus is ending it with, choose Jesus. Choose him. And even when you fail, I know some of you are thinking, but I fail all the time. Choose him and obey him by coming back to him and receiving grace. What's incredible, his primary command is receive grace. 
Receive mercy and trust me. He is the rock that is stronger than other people's disapproval. He is the rock that when everything hits it, it shatters. Their disapproval shatters against him. Your sins shatter against him. Your guilt, your shame, your suffering shatters against him. He is the rock that nothing can undo and nothing can shake. And and storms in your life, listen, everybody, everybody, every job, every relationship, every person you know is going to fail you. The older you get, the more you learn that. Nobody can stand up against the tides of your neediness. I need to be approved of every second of every day. No one can handle that pressure. I have sins that I failed in again. No one can keep forgiving me. And yet he's the one who's a rock where my sins shatter against him. That when suffering comes, it'll take away everything from you, but he'll be the rock saying, I don't leave you because death couldn't stop me. That's why you choose him. So listen, whatever it is, big or small today, where you need to obey what Jesus' word has said, do it now. When, when your heart is soft, seize that opportunity. When your heart is soft towards God, seize that opportunity and obey. Quick story and we're done. Yesterday, yesterday, me and Lauren were in a conflict. I haven't told her I was gonna share this. She's not here, it's fine. Me and Lauren were in a conflict. <laughs> we were in a conflict yesterday and I could feel my heart was cold. I was indifferent. I know what the command says. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Lay your life down for her. And I'm like, not today, Lord, not today. Today I'm getting mine, Jesus. And I'm sitting there and I can just feel, you know that moment where you're like, you know what God's word says and everything in you is like, no, no. And I honestly, to be really frank, I was just content to be like, no, I'm just gonna, it'll, you know how time works, it'll take care of it. I'm not gonna worry about it. And then honestly about four, 4.30, I was just sitting there and I could, you know that moment where you feel like your heart sort of softening and you're thinking, I kinda do wanna obey. I, I kind of actually, I'm kind of getting the courage to go, honestly, just give her a hug and know that I'm for her. And there was a small moment where I could feel my heart kind of opening, softening towards what God told me to do, but also at the same time, not really wanting to take that step. And I thought, this is why Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Because when your heart is soft, seize that opportunity. You know what obedience does? It produces everything you want. It was this, my, my heart was sort of soft towards God and I thought I need to go give Lauren a hug, tell her I'm sorry for the way that I spoke. And just the act of faith to go trust you, giving her a hug, what did it do? It made my whole heart melt. Made me realize, oh yeah, obedience is better, obedience is better. So whatever, it could be small things like going to be nice to your roommate and saying sorry. It could be giving more money, it could be when you have the courage to actually share the gospel, doing it, but when your heart is soft, church, seize that opportunity because the warning is, it may not be soft tomorrow. Don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. 
He's the rock, the only one that can hold you up. Whatever it is today, trust him today. Trust his word. Let's pray together. Father, there are probably as many different people as there are in this room, there are as many different things we need to obey. God, right now, Holy Spirit, right now, would you bring to mind the thing you have told us to do and we would have refused to do it? Even now, would you soften our hearts to do it, whether it's a, a large leap of faith or a small leap of faith, but God, when our hearts are hard, every step of faith feels impossible. And yet, Jesus, here you are. You don't give up on your people. You don't leave your people. You keep being the rock and say, I'll be strong when you're not. I'll be steady when you're not. And so, God, make us a people who build our lives on the rock because we hear your word and we do it. And the thing we do most often, God, is come to you and say, I'm sorry for the ways I disobeyed. I'm sorry for the ways that I don't trust. I'm wrong. You're right. I want to receive grace. And God, you never, ever tire of being the rock that crushes our sins and takes away our shame, takes away our guilt, and gives us courage and confidence to stand before you. You're not a God of shame. You're a God of love. And so God, help us today to quit delaying the things you've called us to do. God, I know some of us in here need to take big, giant steps of faith and we've been putting it off for months. God, right now, we need to be resolved to do it. Others of us, God, we need to say sorry to people. We need to make a plan to read the Bible. We need to pray in the ways we said we would. We need to give in the ways we said we would, even if it's just a little. But God, as you find us, you love us, and you call us forward. Holy Spirit, empower us to obey. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's sing together.